0: Join me while we tackle today's Modern Mom Problems. Welcome back to another episode of Modern Mom Probs. I'm your host, Tara Clark. This is where we try to solve the world's modern mom problems. And if we can't solve them, at least we have fun talking about them. If you like what we're doing here, be sure to subscribe. Today's topic is Calm the Chaos, Raising the Most Challenging Children. And I'm joined by Dana Abram. She is the best-selling author of the Super Kids Activity Guide to Conquering Every Day and Sensory Processing 101. Dana is on a mission to create a more accepting world, one challenging kid at a time. Her latest book, Calm the Chaos, a fail-proof roadmap for parenting even the most challenging kids, will be released this August. Dana is the founder of the popular parenting website, Lemon Lime Adventures. Through her compassionate framework, Calm the Chaos, she has helped millions of desperate parents around the world find peace and meet their children where they're at. Her work has been showcased in HuffPo, Scary Mommy, BuzzFeed, Parents Magazine, Life Hacker, and so many more. Dana, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here. I am thrilled to be here because I read your book. I was only a couple pages into it, and I was already crying. And I was like, oh, God, here we go. <laughs> this is going to be a good one because it resonated so much with me. So, I want to know everything, but let's start at the very beginning, okay? Tell us a little bit about yourself.
1: Yeah, so first and foremost, I'm really sorry that you cried when you read the book, but I'm also really happy that you resonated with it and that... You felt seen, so yeah. So, where about me? So, I am the founder of Calm the Chaos, as you've talked about, and I started as a just a parent uh, trying to wade my way through the struggles of raising a kid that didn't tick any of the boxes and didn't fit the mold of any of the parenting books I had read, and even the education knowledge that I had because I was an educator for twelve years in the classroom, and so I just felt like a failure for the first seven years of parenting. And so I had to really kind of go back to the drawing board, figure out what was going on, figure out how to navigate parenting this kid that wasn't like all the other kids that I knew. And through that, found a framework that has not only helped my family, but also uh,
0: parents from around the world with all different challenges. Yeah. And, and gosh, I'm so glad that you did. Cause like I said, I read a lot of parenting books for my work, the work I do here on the podcast and on social and just even for my own research as a parent. And I have to say that yours really resonated with me more so than many of the other ones that I, that I've read. So like I said, you know, I'm, five pages into this book, I'm, like, tearing up, and I'm, like, oh, my gosh, I feel seen. So, like, what led you to write this particular book, come up with this particular framework?
1: Yeah, so this particular book, I kind of feel like it's, like, you know how they say some books are like your life's work in a book and it's a lot of pressure to put on a book, but it does feel like that. I feel like I was born into this. I was raised as a sibling to a bipolar brother. So I was the one who received his aggression and received his explosions. And then in the classroom, when I was a teacher, my favorite kids were the ones that all the teachers had kind of already dismissed and talked about in the teacher's lounge and kind of frowned about and talked down about. And so when I had my son, I honestly thought I've got this parenting gig in the bag. Like someone's going to show up at my doorstep and they are going to give me one of those big old checks and balloons. <laughs> and it's going to say world's best parent. <laughs> yes, <laughs> That did not happen. That did not happen. And so his first seven years of, of parenting him was incredibly difficult. Not so much at home at first, because I was I was in tune to him and his needs for the most part. But once he entered preschool, he was kicked out of his first preschool for being the biter. By the time he went to kindergarten, he was being held back and not being able to go to recess because he like, you know, dropped his pants in class and got a laugh. And then by first grade, he was crawling on the floor instead of doing his schoolwork and not walking in the hall and, and touching everything and everyone. And then by second grade, he was kicked out of school more days than he was in school. And and I just felt so alone. And the, the story that I tell in the book, that was kind of the defining moment, this moment where the principal looked at me and said, you have two choices. You can either take him home, don't bring him back till you figure out what's wrong with him, or let this officer take him. And it was just like in that moment that I knew something had to change because my son had no self-esteem left. I had no self-esteem left and we were just crushed and I didn't want another parent or another child to feel the way the two of us felt. And so that's why I started blogging 10 years ago because I just was hopelessly like In hope, trying to find like, is there one other person who's going through this? And, and so I, I did it in desperation. And as I was navigating, I was never, here's all the great things I've figured out. It was, here's what's working. Here's what's not. And here's what I'm trying to figure out. And I've just always been really vulnerable and share the ups and the downs. And that is how I've been able to help others. And so, Now, I mean, I'm sitting in a room and in this office, I have probably 75 pictures of families on my wall. And they're all families who have used the framework around the world with some of the most challenging situations. And they no longer feel alone. Their kids no longer feel alone or broken. And they feel empowered to be who they are and not try to fit into a mold. And so I knew this needed to be out in the world in a bigger way, especially just knowing that when parents go to the doctor, when they go to a therapist, a lot of times they are handed very outdated information. They're told to count the three and then everything will be better. And I just, I knew that there, this was a way forward for so many parents.
0: Yeah. like You mentioned, you know, going to the doctor and they say like, okay, count to three or take a breath or something like that. So many times with challenging kids, they're not the ones who will follow that script, right? And so many times you hear like the parenting advice of like, okay, if this happens, then you say this. And then you're like, okay, I'm going to try it. And then your kid's like, yeah, no, that's not going to work. So many times with the challenging kids, they're the ones who sort of flipping the script, if you will. And so how do you navigate parenting a child who doesn't go by the script? Yeah. So, you
1: know, so many people want to tell you it's this one thing. Like if you just add connection or if you just add these scripts, if you just do more firm boundaries, but Parenting isn't just a quick fix and it's a relationship and there's so many nuances involved and we're dealing with humans. We are not dealing with, you know, training a puppy. We are dealing with these very unique individuals with different brain wiring, with different backgrounds and trauma and biology and like all these, these nuances that go into it that just saying here's a script this should work and then hey if it doesn't work something's wrong with you or something's wrong with your kid it just leaves parents out in the cold and leaves them feeling like oh, i've tried everything and that's just not a fun place to be in and so one of the things that i really i tried so hard because i was trying to follow all the advice is if you just find that one thing that no one else has found then people will will follow you and and they'll listen to your advice and I looked, I looked up and down and there's not one secret. Instead, what we did find though, is that there's these four elements or ingredients or categories that are just life principles. And if you include those four at varying levels, you don't have to be an expert in any of it, but if you just sprinkle each of those four elements, you can solve almost any problem with your kids, with your spouse, with your neighbor, with your cat, doesn't matter, but you really can. It's more of a holistic view and scripts are great. I think that scripts help you access information when you're in a bad situation and you can't remember. So if you have one go-to script great, that's going to be fantastic for you. But then after the fact saying, what worked, what didn't, do I need to tweak this script so that it works for my kid and works for me?
0: So scripts have a place, but not 15 scripts to try to remember in the moment. Yeah, because it's so hard to keep yourself regulated in the moment, let alone adding on scripts on top of that.
1: Absolutely. When you're stressed, your executive functioning goes down. And executive functioning is the way that you do the things you do. So it's your brain's ability to organize information, recall information, start task, end task. And so when parents are stressed and overwhelmed, they beat themselves up because they're not able to remember this information that they have in their brain. They're not able to remain calm. They're not able to stay organized. I mean, most of the listeners right now probably have a coffee in the microwave right? And then we beat ourselves up, but there's a reason for it. And I think the more we understand the why behind why we do what we do and why our kids do what they do, then the how of how to parent them, how to empower them becomes so much easier.
0: Earlier, you mentioned four pillars. Do you mind walking me through that?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Now I'm a super visual person and the book is full of all kinds of doodles. So I'm just going to like, Try to talk out my doodle here. So if you imagine a Venn diagram with three circles meeting in the middle, you've got connection understanding, empowerment, and they all meet in the middle for the you piece. So the you piece is you, the parent, the one adult in this child's life who is going to be their grounded, safe place. That doesn't mean you have to be perfect 100% of the time. It's just that you are that person that is their trusted individual that is going to go for helping them no matter what. The connection piece is less about playing and less about All of this dedicated one-on-one time, which isn't bad, but what it's really about is affirming the child you have, seeing the child you have, accepting the child you have, and helping them feel seen, heard, and valued for who they are, not for who you thought you'd have as a child.
0: Yes, yes, yes. I say that all the time. Yes, because I've been saying that for years. I say that to my husband. I say that to everybody is that we have to – Love the child we have, not the child that we thought we were going to have.
1: A hundred percent. A hundred percent. And then the understanding piece is that piece that I think is missing in a lot of parenting advice out there. Even some of the best expert parenting experts out there, they leave out why kids do what they do. They leave out the science of behavior, they leave out the science of you know neurodiversity and relationships and communication and the need for safety. And so when we understand what's really going on behind behavior or behind a challenge, we can create an environment that's in tune and responsive to our kids' needs. And then the last piece is empowerment, which is less about firm rules and boundaries, but it's about creating a collaborative you know, solution that works not just for the kid and not just for the parent, but for everyone involved so that everyone's needs are getting met.
0: You talked a little bit about the science and the neurodiversity, and I I want to explore that a little bit further. Have you noticed that it tends to be the neurodivergent children that tend to be the ones that are struggling in school? I think that's a two-part question.
1: I think that neurodivergent children struggle in school. I think that is almost a given unless you're in a school that is incredibly responsive and understanding of different brain wirings. However, I think that there are a lot of children who may never get a diagnosis and never know that they're neurodivergent and they don't fit into they don't fit into these categories and they struggle just as much because it's assumed that their behavior or their, whatever they're doing is purposeful.
0: Yes. Yes. I've absolutely found that to be the case in, in our house. And until we had received diagnosis For my son, which was something that we didn't necessarily think that it was going to be, it all made sense then. You go, okay, yeah, I see it. It's it's a cycle of, you know, if, if you're struggling to be able to He has issues with his coordination. So if you can't physically do some of the things that your peers can do, whether it's art or handwriting or any of those things, then that wears on your self-esteem. And then when that wears on your self-esteem, then you have negative self-talk. And then when you have negative self-talk, then you're prone to outbursts and all of those things. And it's a big cycle. And unless the educators or the school in general are aware of those things, it just seems to be like, well, just sit up straight and just write or just draw or just, just do any of those things that you are supposed to do. And it makes it so challenging. Well, and
1: my daughter, I don't know that she'll ever get a diagnosis. Maybe when she's older, she might get an autism diagnosis. She's highly verbal. She's you know super friendly and, and empathetic, but she's got really high anxiety and high sensory needs. She is a straight A student in fourth grade going on fifth grade. That's how old my son is. Almost. Oh, that's awesome. I love it. But because it doesn't affect her quote unquote learning, they believe that it's a won't come to school instead of a can't come to school. And, and that is really difficult because schools need, they, and I get it because I was a teacher, they need a diagnosis to be able to provide services. But there are some children that will never get a diagnosis because they don't hit all the check marks at, at a certain age or, you know, things like that. And so they're, they're being declined the services or the supports they need, like, Being able, I think the schools missed a huge opportunity for some of these kids who are out of the box or challenging or different with like a hybrid type of school and being able to go half, being able to go, you know, so we're having to look at now and I feel really privileged that we can, but we're having to look at homeschool next year because going to school became the goal for the educators was like, let's just get her here. And I'm like, but the goal should be to educate her and to help her feel safe. And if she feels safer at home, can't she do the work at home? Yeah. And it just we didn't see eye to eye. Oh,
0: Dana, I cannot I'm getting chills because I cannot begin to tell you what a similar situation that we went through. We like I said, this year received a diagnosis for my son. We were trying to seek out 504, which he got for his his coordination issues. But then my my one good friend said, No, really, you should pursue the IEP, but he's a straight A student. And they said, well, you don't need an IEP. Look how well he's doing. And so we were essentially denied that. But the pressure leads to his frustration tolerance issues. And it's a whole big cycle of stuff. And so actually this year we are looking into alternative schooling that really focuses more on him as an individual And so it's wild that we're having a a parallel life right now. Yeah,
1: I think a lot of people are having this and are being led to believe they're the only ones having this issue. And I think that's one of the other reasons why I really wanted this book to be out there is because I think the pandemic really opened the eyes of so many parents to be able to see, oh, my kid needs more support. They're not not doing their homework because they don't want to. They're not doing their homework because they can't access this homework. Or, you know, my kid doesn't feel safe. My kid doesn't know how to how to access this or do this. And, and then when we went back to school and all the kids went back, it was like, all right, let's go back to normal. And I was like, but there is no normal anymore. Now that we're aware, we can't go back to this place of let's just all have our kids sit in a seat all day long and, you know, work towards the test. Like, that's just not going to work.
0: No, it's not. Let me ask you a quick question. And I feel like I know the answer to, to this. During the pandemic, how did your daughter enjoy school doing it from home?
1: So my daughter, it was an interesting thing. We went to homeschooling them, like pulled them out of all of their classes because that first year they were all of the teachers were trying to school as if the kids were in the classroom and then still having them turn in their work. And she was in first grade. I mean, she was really young. And so her teacher was having her do writing and then turn it in. And she didn't have the supports in place to feel safe to do the writing since it was new for her in first grade. And she ended up like, I always say, when a kid starts hating school, you know there's a problem, right? Because our goal is for our kids to love learning right? Our goal is not for them to love school. Our, our goal is for our kids to love the idea of learning and to be lifelong learners. And if you shut them off at seven, at six, from this idea that learning can be fun, learning can be enjoyable, then they're going to shut off for a long time, maybe for their whole life. And so we actually pulled all of our kids and did homeschool during during that time and then put them back in once the pandemic was over. And they thrived when we were doing homeschool.
0: This episode is brought to you by Modern Mom Style Box. Upgrade your wardrobe and enjoy unlimited styles for just $60 a month. Modern Mom Style Box is the first rental clothing subscription designed exclusively for moms and moms-to-be. Get started today with a free trial. Use promo code PTO. Right, so that was, that's sort of where I was going, where I, I was curious to see what you were going to say, because my son, he, he stayed within the school system, and he was virtual for the second half of first grade and then all of his second grade. He had a wonderful teacher in second grade. He loved it. He thrived like I've never seen him thrive before. And so every once in a while, I'll meet a parent who says, oh, my, my kids did great. During that time, most parents I talked to were like, oh, no, it was a nightmare. It was hybrid. They were there. They weren't there. It was all over the place. But my son, based upon his personality and his needs, thrived. And so that's why I had a feeling that maybe you would say something similar
1: We found that in our community that so many of the kids were thriving during the pandemic because they were at home, because they were able to work. They were able to get schoolwork done in two hours. Now, once a kid figures that out, it's really hard to get them to go for eight hours because they're like, wait a second, I was doing the same amount of work in two hours. Not all kids figure that out. But the ones that do, it is really hard to get them to go back to eight-hour days.
0: (laughs) Yeah, no, it it definitely is. We're actually looking, I'm totally taking a a tangent now, but we're actually looking at a school called Acton Academy. And Acton Academy is student-led, so the kids are able to do their own self-paced work on the computer while they're still within a community. At school. So I have
1: also heard of Fusion Academy. Academy. Heard of i have heard of that
0: So I've heard that it was real. It's really,
1: but it's middle school. So your kid has one more year if he's going into fifth.
0: not in. Well, so in our town. It, fifth grade starts our middle school, but Fusion Academy, okay. you're right. So he Fusion would statistics. have to do something for for fifth grade and then switch yep. over for sixth
1: grade. So that's what we're trying to do is figure out, we don't have a Fusion in in Arkansas where I am now. And so it would be all online. So right now, I mean, but it was so fun. Like last night I was getting ads for curriculum and I was like, so I see you know, this for science or this or this, which one sounds more fun? And she's like, I want to learn about animals and I want to learn about plants. I was like, all right, great, done, science, check. And she hated science. And she said to me, she goes, mom, science at school was not science. We didn't do any experiments. We just talked about things and we just did a bunch of worksheets. She's like, this sounds really fun. you know. And so she's already getting that love of learning back.
0: Yeah, it's so important. And that's what I'm hoping to instill in my son come September when he starts Acton Academy is to get that love of learning back and, and to get that autonomy that he's going to get by being a self directed learner at school. That's that's exciting. So I'm going to bring our conversation back to okay. what we were talking about. It was a fun sidebar, though. I, it, I love it. It was a fun sidebar because I had a feeling. I was like, I think Dana and I have a lot in common, and which is why the book resonated with me so well. And I said, let me let me just ask about this education stuff. Okay, here we go. So time and time again in parenting, I have a lot of conversations about parenting on the podcast, on social, in life, just in general. Connection is at the heart of everything. And so how is connection weaved through the framework? Oh, that's a great question. So that is where
1: I started when I first brought my son home from school. I had two goals. I wanted him to not hate himself for not fitting in, and I didn't want him to hate the world for not understanding him. And I figured the first place to start was connection. And so it was really about helping him connect with himself, helping me connect with him, helping see, help myself see him for who he was. And so we kind of did like unschooling for a while and just kind of let go of all academics. So I do believe a relationship is at the base of parenting and it's far more important than the rules and the boundaries and the structure and all that is there's pieces of that are important, but the relationship is key. Now, with a caveat, it's not the only thing. If we only focus on connection and especially connection through, like we we were talking about earlier, about one-on-one time or about play time, then it leads parents to be overwhelmed because they're working, they've got eight kids, whatever it is, and they're like, how am I supposed to connect with every kid or they're not natural players? Then it's just more of that guilt that gets laid on them. When connection can really be in these in-between moments, it's how we make our kids And helping them feel seen and heard and valued and that their opinion and their views actually matter and that they have something worthy to say. And so that's, that's the caveat with connection. But the important part about it is you can't jump to like having all this connection and without having a solid base first, And that solid base starts with yourself. So you have to be able to connect with yourself in a very small amount, at least, to be able to get yourself grounded, to be able to know what to say and do in the heat of the moment. That's not going to add fuel to the fire. Because if you're just doing connection, you're going to end up trying to talk it out, trying to emotion coach, trying to connect before you correct. You're going to try all these things, and then you're just going to be like, why isn't this working? I've connected all day long, and it's still not working. And it's because you're missing those other three pillars we were talking about that you piece, the understanding, the empowerment, and starting at a really base level so that you can ride out the arguments, the, the fights, the battles, whatever is happening be, until that relationship is born. And that relationship is built through those small moments and being able to ride through those arguments.
0: Now, you talk a lot about riding the storm in the book. So I want to talk about it now. Okay. Yeah, I do. I talk a lot about it because I think that most parenting books
1: start at like stage three or four, which is like the mecca, the where we all want to be, the we have this problem solving family with resilient kids that all get along. Like that's like what most parenting books are about. And most of the people, when they come to us, they're like, oh, I was missing stage one, two, and three, which stage one is that ride the storm. And it is When there is an argument, a fight, a battle, some sort of frustrating situation where you're struggling to remain calm and the kid's struggling as well. And no one's making forward progress. And so it's having a plan for those really, really tough moments before they happen. And it's just like, You know, I I grew up in Tornado Alley. I live back in Tornado Alley again. And it is our plan to go to the basement. We are not trying to fix anything, solve anything, do anything during that tornado siren. We are just waiting it out. And maybe we're checking in on like the news to see if it's passed yet, but that's it. And that's what we need to be doing as parents is have this plan where we can ride through the worst situations before expecting them to go away. Because you're not going to solve the problem overnight. Like I could give you a plan to solve hitting. I actually can't because your child's unique. But, you know, I can give you the framework for creating a plan, but you're not going to solve that overnight. That's going to take time to build skills, to problem solve. And so you need a plan to ride it out while you're waiting to get there.
0: Yeah. And then once you get there, then you talk in the book, like that's the empowered family, right? That's your end goal. Yes, absolutely.
1: Like at each stage, you're using those four pillars that we talked about earlier, and you're starting really small where you can still access it because if you're stressed out, if your kids are stressed out, if you're trying to emotion coach, if you're trying to skill build, neither one of you can access that in the heat of the moment. And so you have to have that ride the storm bit you have to build your own time and energy, at least a little bit of battery reserves so that you can weather another frustrating moment. You can get them you know, in the car in the morning when they're refusing school again. And then you can start creating these plans for what to say, what to do, how to diffuse it, how to actually help your kid calm down now that they see you as the safe place. And from there, now you can build a relationship. You can start problem solving. You can start having great conversations. You can start building that connection out of the moment. And that's when things start to really grow really fast. Yeah.
0: Yeah. In families with neurodivergent children or challenging children, let's say that we're not necessarily putting a diagnosis on it. We'll call them challenging children. It can be very lonely, right? I mean, you could be fighting with your partner. If you have a partner, you could feel terrible about yourself. It's like, how did we get here? Why are we here? So my question to you, Dana, is, yeah, it's lonely. How can we seek out a community of other like-minded parents?
1: Mm, I think that... There's so, I mean, we're living in like the world's best time for this situation. Know that you're not alone. That's the first one. Like knowing that you're not alone is going to make it that much easier to find the community. And because if you believe that you're not alone, now you're going to keep looking because you know it's out there. But if you believe that you're the only one going through this, you will isolate even further. And so that's step one is just know you're not alone. There are... Millions of other people going through this, and a lot of people who have found their way through the trenches to the other side. So there is hope. And so, you know, look for communities on Facebook, on, you know, Instagram, on, you know, in your local community where you feel seen and heard, and not just a place where people complain about their kids. Like that would be the thing that I would really look for. There are umpteen million Facebook groups. That will, will be about a challenging kid and, or raising strong willed kids or raising explosive children. It doesn't matter what title you call it. There are communities, but you have to be really cautious because you'll, you'll post in there and you'll get 300,000 different answers and you'll feel more overwhelmed or they'll jump to diagnoses. Well, have you checked out this? Well, have you checked out that? And then you're feeling like, Oh my gosh, I'm, I've got so much more to do. So look for a community where you feel seen, valued, heard, and held while you're going through your hard times, and it's easy to find steps forward. That's what I would be
0: looking for. I want to like take you and like put you in my pocket and keep with you with me all the time. I would love it. I think we're going to be like besties after this. A hundred percent. Yes. And if you don't agree, I'll just stalk you and I'll become your bestie anyway. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, I'm telling you, we have like just so many similarities. Like I said, I was four pages into the book. I was like, oh, I get her. She gets me. Yeah, I have, I have definitely lived it
1: and breathed it. It's like the thing that, you know, just the other day, I mean, my son is 18, the one that I write about in the book. So it's been 10 years. And Just the other day, he's turning 18 and I'm going through all these emotions of he's 18. He's supposed to be going into the real world, quote unquote, right? And it's like, but this kid, he's not there yet. And, and that's okay. But there's a lot of navigating the thought process in it and the feelings and the emotions. And I had to drop him off at his dad's house because we co-parent and there were a lot of emotions there. His dad believes that he is a typical 18 year old and that, you know, I caused his autism. Like, yes, that I totally did. Right. And so he goes to his dad's and he gets told, healthy people don't take meds. And he gets told that like mom just babies you. And if you had more independence, you would be a real boy, you know, or whatever, yep. kind of like Pinocchio. Yep, yep. And I, you know, so I'm navigating all that and I posted it in my community and they were like, here you are again, living it, breathing it. Like you're doing the framework. I'm like, yes, I do. Like I am not just some some person out there who did some research and said, here's the next best thing for parents. I'm still going through it. I'm not perfect. And I'm just, I just want parents to know that they don't have to be perfect to not be failing and that their kid is not broken. They're exactly who they're meant to be. And if
0: that's all people get from being in my world, then I've done my job. Yeah. One of my favorite things about how you end the book is exactly that you said like, I have three kids. We're still going through it. It's not a storybook, happy ending where I applied this framework and now here we are and we're all doing this and we're excelling and this and that. And it's like, no, like every day can provide new challenges and that's life. That's just simply honest. And so I I really appreciated the conclusion of your book like that.
1: Oh, thank you. Yeah, it was really, it was a debate putting that piece in there, but I was writing the book and there was a particularly hard two weeks. And I was like, I'm not being true to myself if I don't put this in here. And not being true to the people who are reading this, because how often do we get to the end of a parenting book and go, that sounds great in theory, Mm -hmm. but... I'm trying it. It's not working. And I want people to know that if they try it and it's not working, it's not because they're failing or something's wrong with their kid. It just, that is life. Like things are hard and it's challenging and you do have to keep going through it. It works like the framework. It works, it works, it works. And I have seen unbelievable things in my family, in my life. Like I, that I can't even imagine. And you know, the, the, The stark difference between where my family was five years ago, even where I couldn't go to the grocery store without a massive meltdown that my kid was being, you know, sent in an ambulance for residential treatment against my will, right? Just five years ago. And now we are in a place. Is he going out and going to college and getting a job? Not yet, but he comes to me, he says, hey, I'm really struggling with this. Can we talk through it? He has a girlfriend. He hangs out with the family. He doesn't get angry. He processes out the things that he's struggling with. Our family understands him in at such a deep level. Like His 18th birthday, we went bowling and we walked into the bowling alley and the whole family went, well, this is too loud for Elijah. And we all walked out. And he was like, yep, let's go see a movie instead. And so we went, and just hung out, and you know that doesn't happen without a framework like this, where you are understanding each other, you're empowering each other, instead of like oh, something's wrong with him, he's never going to get there, right? It just it makes a world of difference, and there are still challenges.
0: <laughs> right, right. But it really does make all the difference. The self awareness for each one, whether it's the parent or the child, or a combination of both, is I think it, it makes all the difference in the world. Absolutely. Dana, tell everyone where we can find you and where we can get this book. Well, you can go to
1: calmthechaosbook.com and you can download a free chapter just to check it out, or you can pre-order or order the book there. And you'll be in our world after that. That comes with a whole bunch of bonuses and we'll be sure to send you more information. So that's actually the best place to
0: go is calmthechaosbook.com to get into our world. I am so happy that I am now in your world. I am too. Thank you so much for being here. Oh, thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to today's episode of Modern Mom Probs. I hope you enjoyed our deep dive in today's problem with me, your host, Tara Clark. Join me next time when I'll be interviewing another great guest, and tackling another modern mom problem. If you enjoyed today's episode, please leave us a review and a rating. As always, you could head over to Modern Mom Probs on Instagram and give me a follow, or check out my book, Modern Mom Probs, A Survival Guide for 21st Century Mothers, available online wherever books are sold. Well, that's it for today. See you next time, folks.